Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. After you finish listening, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a rating on iTunes and Google Play to help other listeners find our show. We are taking Political R&D to the next level. Our programming will now include more frequent podcasts, including interviews that challenge and inform. We're also bringing new writers to cover the politics in everything. Please consider becoming a patron. Your support will help us improve, increase, and pay for the content you enjoy. You can find us on Patreon at PoliticalRND or link through our website at politicalrnd.ca. Now, let's get political. And we are back. I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. And I'm Mark Taylor. And today we are discussing whether or not crises, how, how do they help or hinder re-election potential? And we're calling this one, it's the end of our political careers as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what kind of spawned that we would, we've been talking about this for a little while off camera how COVID is going to impact the political futures of multiple levels of government. We have different elections going on. And so this really seemed to be, especially after our last podcast with Max Fawcett, um, seemed to be a good time to actually take whatever was off, whatever, and put it on the camera. So, Yeah. Uh, the first election that we have coming up will be municipal. Uh, and uh, No. Won't it? Well, I mean, in context, the first one will probably be the U.S. election. Oh, that's true. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> let's, then, let's go there. <laughs> and then potentially the Canadian election. Oh, yeah, that's true. But and let's, then municipal. Okay, but let's go with fixed election dates at the moment. So, uh, yeah, you're right. So the U.S. will be first. They are going to the polls in November. Yeah. And this is for the presidential re-election. It's been a tumultuous four years in the United States. Well, yeah, I mean, you see down in the States, it's always been the split of Republican versus Democrat. Um, you know, they, they, they were the pioneers of very polarized politics. You know, they were doing it well before anybody else, and they're really good at it. So um, it's not surprising for the last three years to watch one side of the uh, uh, political spectrum absolutely lose their shit on anything and everything that happens on any given day. That's not to sit there and say that it wasn't warranted, but I'm more intrigued by when I watch Republicans Oh yeah, start all of a sudden doing things like we support Joe Biden, like the whole Lincoln project. <laughs> that, that intrigues me when one of the founders of the, the Lincoln project is uh, George Conway. And for those who don't know who George Conway is, um, maybe you know who Kellyanne Conway is because she's the talking uh, mouthpiece of the Trump administration. Um, they're married. Um, mm -hmm. so, so to watch, <laughs> watch somebody that's like, it's not just a, this is a Republican-Democrat household. This is a uh, <laughs> once in the White House and the other one wants to replace the person in the White House. It's like, <laughs> hi, honey, uh, I hate your boss and I'm going to try and replace him. Yeah, that has that's to be awkward dinner time. Oh, really. yeah. Like... <laughs> 
everyone talks about, you know, out of COVID lawyers are going to be really busy. It's like, how, how's the law in that household going? Like, they, they could be really unhappy at home and I'm just making shit up, but it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting as a Canadian and on the opposite side of the continent going, <laughs> that doesn't look like fun. No, no, it doesn't. And the thing is that it's not even just the electorate down there that is polarized, but it's also the media interpretation of what's going on down there. So there are a number of people who are very, or at least who were very happy with what was going on in the United States uh, prior to the pandemic, right? Stock markets were doing well. Oh yeah. Trump, Trump was continually at the, at the microphones uh, mm -hmm. talking about how record day, record year, record, whatever. <laughs> I mean, record, record lifetime. Honestly, yeah. nothing, nothing had ever happened, you know, before Trump. It was, yeah, it was and, of all time. <laughs> and I was, I was listening to the, the brand new podcast from Rick Wilson, also one of those Republicans who doesn't like Trump, um, <laughs> called the, uh, the new abnormal and um, Molly Young fast as, as the other co-host. And they were basically saying it's like, he's a dope fiend for the Dow Jones. Yeah. And I'm like, Ooh, that's a, that's a, and that's actually, I think the title of the first podcast, but it was like, that that's catchy. And, that and is. it is because, because that's really all Trump's ever been focused on. As long as the Dow's doing well, who cares? For Trump's reelection, I think they looked better before the pandemic hit. There's a lot of things going on right now that uh, again, are further polarizing uh, people down in the States because you've got some States that want to maintain some of those uh, restrictions on the economy and, and working entertainment, things like that. And then you have this other group. Um, there was a video, uh, doctors, healthcare workers were blocking people off from going to a protest and they were doing a, what, what we would call a silent protest. Um, they were just standing in the way of, of vehicles. And this one woman who was in the front vehicle had stuck her head out the window and she said, you can go to work. Why can't I? And we've had that uh, incomparable comparison before of, well, doctors can do this or doctors get this. Why don't I get that? So we've seen that up here as well. But there's, I mean, this is also polarizing the U.S. as well. I'm not sure if I think that this will be beneficial for Trump's reelection or not. Well, I think you're right. Before the pandemic started up, if you're catching that bad noise, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's outside. a helicopter. <laughs> no, that's actually a tree. Uh, that's a tree grader. Saw? Yeah, oh. somebody. Yeah, no, that might actually be the wood chipper. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, and hopefully it doesn't last for long. Anyway, I think you're right in the sense that leading up to this pandemic there was a chance Trump still had some electability. The Democrats hadn't quite figured out which way was up. They, their race was looking like it was probably going to extend for longer than it needed to. Um, you know, they, their leadership race. Yeah. Like yeah. the, the democratic leadership wall, presidential ticket, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that would have extended on probably into July when they had their, their convention. The convention was, was looking to be a little contentious uh, even after it just came down to Joe and Bernie, it was still looking like that that was going to drag that fight was going to drag out until July, and 
and really, you know, I, in my opinion, the, the pandemic was a boon to the Democrats because they had to, they had to get their shit figured out. And it was like, we can't keep having people show up to voting if, if we're putting people at risk. That's contradictory of our message that, you know, Trump's doing horrible things, not taking this seriously. And please, everybody go stand in line and, and write on paper and breathe on the person in front of you and the, uh, you know, the And show up at our rallies and, yeah, and our convention like, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a conflicting message. So now that, now that uh, the Democrats are able to solidify behind one candidate, they can now spend the next six months hammering the snot out of Donald J. Hey, we should inject some sunshine, sunshine literally into us, Trump. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, Trump's going to get judged on really what's what his track record from February is. Yeah. No, I think you're right. That's and and that's also interesting because the pandemic hit near the end of his term, so right before re-election, whereas in Canada, uh, this is hitting in a number of, of places, so uh, Alberta provincially, and Canada, the federal elections, this is hitting kind of close to the beginning of their terms. Well, and, and this is where you see the big difference between the American and Canadian system. So in the States, it's not just the president's being elected in November, but you know, how many down tickets? I don't know which part of the cycle it's at. So I don't know if it's, right. you got states and which governors and which you always have House of Representatives being elected every two years. So, right. um, but it's always in November. Mm-hmm. So, so they're full born going right now um, on all levels. You come to Canada, it's like, okay, we've got a federal government that's in a minority situation. So mm-hmm. When's that one going to be? We're not sure. We've got a minority government in BC. When's that one going? We're not sure. We've got a uh, provincial one in Alberta, but that's not till 2023. We've got Saskatchewan. It's actually going this October. Yes. I just, I just Googled it. I'm like, wait, when, when's <laughs> Mo up? I know Mo's up soon here. And sure enough. So um, they're actually going, they'll be going two weeks before the presidential election. Yeah. So, so timing. Yeah. And, and really this is, it, it'll come down. And I think this is the question we wanted to address is so, you know, like, you know, on, on the American side, and then maybe we can put that uh, aside. Mm -hmm. uh, Is this crisis going to help Donald Trump? No. No, because that's not his (laughs) wheelhouse. Uh, In fact, it's, it's sounding like the Democrats are, depending on which news systems you listen to, there's actually a chance that the the Democrats will, will take, both all three the president um the senate and the house wow or congress whatever i even in even in some of those swing states yeah well they they were looking at the numbers and it's really you know at this point joe joe's weak with old white males but he's leading in every other and he's got a pretty substantial lead now i mean it's six months and Joe has a tendency to put his foot in his mouth and say weird things, but sometimes that endears him. But so does, <laughs> so, and so does Trump. So really, well, it's just well, a race. Yeah, we're tuned. We're tuned. We've tuned out of the crazy stuff that Trump takes and says. Now it's it's a it's a punchline. It's not nobody's taking him serious anymore. Um, I don't know if there's a big enough bullet for Joe to shoot himself in the foot um, if it comes out that he's had you know many more sexual harassment claims statements or the like mm, yes. that'll that'll impact them but again it'll you know as uh, as Kristen said on um 
on the agree or disagree podcast. It was like, we got a choice of sexual abusers. Yeah. It's so which, oh, one, God, so which one's which more one's egregious worse. at this point. So it's like, it's, it's not exactly like we've, you know, you take that out. Joe Biden's got a fantastic resume, but it's all, it, it's like, you can't take that out because part of that is from Joe Biden's resume. So and my face, my face. Yeah, just yeah, which nobody can see because we're not putting. I know, yet, I know. So. Which is why I had to mention it because I'm making a really disgusted look. Like this, the these are the options. Um, ugh. So, anyway, so my, uh, my fingers are crossed that I see somebody like Kamala Harris as the VP. Right. So and any, anyway, it's it's going to be me. worth yeah yeah it's going to be worth paying attention to because their election is coming so soon. Their death rates are still on the rise. Uh, their infection rates, nobody knows because they're not testing anywhere near where they and, could actually help people. And their tests aren't necessarily appropriately screened. They've been approved yeah. by the FDA. They just haven't been tested. Yeah, except on real people. Um, yeah, okay, so, so there'll, be, there'll be an editorial coming out on that if you guys want to read more about, <laughs> about that health thing. Yeah, yeah. so obviously... The U.S. election is something that I think Canadians are going to tune into anyways, but it is a little more interesting because of the timeline. This is, this is election year. This is normally a time when there would be hard campaigning going on. Uh, there's less of that because of the restrictions. And actually, so let's go straight into Saskatchewan. Who's up next? Yeah, well, and technically first. So, yeah. I mean, the... Um, so Saskatchewan is going to end of October, coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, Scott Moe has started to open the province for um, business. Or is starting to talk about it. Is, are, they, are they actually releasing some of those yeah, the regulations? First, first, first phase uh, is, is first part of May. Okay. So, so they've, they've got a timeline. They've got hard dates now. Yeah. So well, for some of it. So they've got like five phases. And I think the first two phases have already got dates laid out. Okay. And so it's like medical officials and campgrounds. Hmm. Medical officials. Oh, well, so like uh, I, the non-emergent uh, yeah. surgery you, and things? You can go see your dentist. Oh. Or your chiropractor or medical services. So okay. not, not just non-essential, not non-essential. It's, it's anything medical. Okay. All right. That is pretty big. So... I mean, they've had, I think Saskatchewan has had, you know, they haven't, they haven't had a, well, no, they have. So. Well, they, I've just pulled it up here just for today. Today being the 24th. That's what it is. Friday. Friday. <laughs> even though, even though this, you will not be listening to this on Friday. Today is Friday. Um, you, and whatever day you're listening to will just be a day. Um, mm -hmm. But just as of today, they have uh, only four deaths in uh saskatchewan so yes. so i mean alberta's they curbed had, it yeah alberta's had days days not total days that have exceeded that so i can see yeah. where if you're the saskatchewan government you're looking at this going okay we're solid yeah this is coming at at the end of their term as well but saskatchewan has done better Right, Saskatchewan doesn't have fifty thousand deaths. You know, they're not looking at the the type of numbers that Trump is. Uh, they've been successful in 
flattening their curve. Uh, yes, they, they struggled a bit in 2015 with the low oil prices. Uh, they continued to struggle. Brad Wall left. Like, I think, I th I think Scott Moe is relatively safe. Um, I think he I think, is as well. I think well. Opening, opening things up in May is part of the re-election plan is yeah. that, you know, you've you got to demonstrate because, you know, he wants his job back. Mm -hmm. And and I think he's, and, and that's in a to way note he's... that the leader of the opposition is currently working on, he's a, he's a medical doctor. So he, he's like, he renewed his license. Yeah, so he's, he's up on the front lines. So yeah. Scott's going to do something because it's like uh, Dr. Ryan is, is, is a little busy right now. And not that Dr. Ryan couldn't go out and campaign, but there's a huge media pump for here's a guy who put the people before politics. Yeah. And so Scott's got to uh, sh show some similar, uh, you know, looking out for the people. And so we're, we're going to let you go to the dentist and we're going to let you go to the campgrounds. And don't worry, the golf courses are next. Yeah. So it's, I mean, honestly, for, for Mo, basically he just has to cross his fingers that they have curbed spread, that, that this is going to hold on and that it comes back after the election yeah. or that it doesn't come back until after the election. So the, the, what we're hearing right now is that this will definitely pop up again in the fall. Yeah. Dr. Fauci, not Donald Trump. Yes. Dr. Fauci said that this is likely reoccur in the fall. Yeah. So they've just got to, they've got to cross their fingers that they reopen the economy and, and it doesn't, uh, and it doesn't cause a collapse for healthcare before the election. Yeah, if if Saskatchewan ended up with a serious spike in September, and um, anything got pointed to, they start tracking it back to uh, all, all these guys were at a campground in May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, especially if you're going to go toe to toe with the doctor. Okay, like that's just it. It won't end well. Yeah. Now I don't. I don't. It's been many many years since I've been in Saskatchewan, so I don't have the institutional knowledge of how strong, like, I mean, the NDP at one point ran that province for 16 years. Right. So they used to have the infrastructure to be able to form government. I don't know if they're there anymore. I mean, it's also been a very long term of the Saskatchewan party. So it has, but as we've seen, you don't need institutional infrastructure to get elected. <laughs> you need it to get reelected, but you yes. don't need it to get elected. Right. <laughs> So Saskatchewan is up first. Um, we're thinking that Scott Moe can kind of sail through, providing that they are not reopening their economy too soon. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's like, fair. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know if you want to throw in some, this is where we want to do some historical context because this was, this was kind of a question. It's not just, it's not just, will this crisis lead to, lead to reelection, but how, how does crisis in general, like we've had some pretty profound ones, especially here in Alberta over the last, you know, five, six years that. Um, but again, that, I would go with, and that's where, that's where timing comes in, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, even, even with the same crisis, when you take a look at the 2013 floods that hit Calgary, yep. that was, that was, you know, June of 2013, you had Mayor Nenshi standing up, looking leader-esque, doing the right things, rallying the people, and had an election in October. So, like, a, you know, let's, let's get Stampede open. 
they did, you know, yeah. come hell or high water, which was a great term. And then we got hell it this was. year. It was high water then. Um, <laughs> but um, they, they got the stampede going. He got Calgary back to work. He got, got the, you know, that sense of camaraderie and, and the city rewarded him with the mayorship in 2013. Yeah. But when you take a look at, you know, that same flood, Alison Redford was standing next to uh, Nancy. I would say maybe not looking as leadership-esque, but again, there was a lot of articles back then that basically Nenshi was outshining both Redford and Harper at the time. Mm-hmm. But here you had, you know, our leaders were standing united. Um, and and what did what did the province do with uh, Allison? Well, they punted her as PC leader before we could even get to the election. Yeah. So, and when you take a look at, okay, the specific neighborhoods and uh, ridings that would have been impacted by the flood, you've got, you know, Calgary Buffalo, which Elbow. was held by, uh, which was held by Kent Hare, but he didn't run again. That went NDP. Right. Yeah. You had Elbow, which uh, was Redford's old riding, which then flipped to Gordon Dirks in the by-election. Well, that went Alberta party with uh, um, Greg Clark. Yeah. So those are the two major ones that were flooded. I mean, you could probably go... Curry is a kind of a third, but not ri- like they don't have as much river. And same with um, like and and Bow, uh, which does have the river running through it. And Bow went NDP as well. So it's like the the people didn't sit there and say that uh, the the PCs did a great job. I mean, you also had like High River had its issues, but by the time the 2015 election had rolled around, Danielle Smith, then the MLA as a Wild Rose MLA during the flood now was trying to get the PC nomination and right. didn't win that. So, uh, and then the wild rose retained the seat. So it wasn't, it wasn't by, by the time the 2015 election crisis didn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. So again, okay. So again, now we've got another one set up for timing and federally Stephen Harper went through the financial crisis of 2007, 2008 2009 2010 like that that really rippled weirdly across the country but and he was seen as somebody who did a good job yeah he was i mean progressives would have said everything he did everything wrong but uh, because then he ended up with the he ended up with the majority in 2011 Yeah. yeah so people were happy with that 2011 so that was again timing wise that was nearer the end of his term when it was really hitting us. So even though it started in the States in 2007 and we saw it coming, it, I know it reverberated in Alberta still in 2009, 2009, 2010. Uh, and that of course is, well, we, we had an oil oil dip then too. (laughs) So like by that point it wasn't, I don't know if the financial crisis of 08 because uh, you know, either because of things that Harper did or didn't do, I don't know if that had as much of an impact on his reelection. But again, you know, it, you're talking 08, and then the general was in 11, so you're three years between the two. So yeah. even if there were some weird hiccups, um, you've got such a gap between. And so you know, while we're still on the federal page, this is where I see Justin Trudeau causing an election potentially even this spring. Not this spring, like 2020, uh, but, you know, is it spring? 2021. <laughs> 2021. <laughs> um, and, and I say that is, is that, okay, he's, he's been on the media every day. He's getting the high accolades. He's getting all the things that, uh, you know, help his numbers. But at some point, that goodwill goes away. 
and he's right. in a and he's in a minority government. So what what better time than to turn around when you're putting the budget out? Which coincidentally, it's also the, the uh, uh, Saskatchewan party's putting their budget out in the fall, right before they go to election. Uh, but um, yeah, you put a budget out in the spring of 2021. Uh, and you force the conservatives and the NDP to vote against it. Again, that's just another, what do we want to call it? An, another tick for the timing, which is you do not want to wait three years before going to another election because all of your potential good deeds during a crisis will by then be forgotten. I mean, we know that this crisis is going to have a ripple effect on many years in the future. Yep. So because of that, and you could also say that Prentice tried this as well. Uh, there was, there was problems with the opposition due to the whole floor crossing thing. Uh, there was a massive recession coming that I talked with Emma May, who was working in the premier's office at the time. And she said that, that they had been they had been in meeting rooms, boardrooms with banks and businesses, and everyone was telling them the same thing: that this recession was not a V. This recession was a U, and in 2014 they could not see the end of it. So Prentice knew in 2014 that he was heading into something that they didn't know when they would be out of it. So to have left that till 2016, I think, was also uh, was also a, a strategic decision not to do that, to, to have the election in 2015 before it got really bad and give yourself four years to get out of it. Well, I mean, and that's why they got punished. Was that too. That it, was, it was the arrogance that only they could handle the, um, the downturn, only they could do these things, and nobody else was capable or competent and and frankly, and they, they decimated the wild rose. So yeah, and they didn't want to. They didn't want to uh, wait another year to um, solidify that because there might have actually been a chance in 2016 they could lose. Yeah. So Which... they read the tea leaves and said, "Okay, well, we could go now. People might get upset for a couple of days. We called it early." Which that's what happened. But it was just one more piece of the arrogance of of the PCs, and that was their ultimate downfall. So. Again, like, you know, did, did Prentice try to call it early to circumvent the crisis? Um, people didn't know the pain that was coming. So to tell people the pain was coming, didn't, it didn't do anything. But he also knew that if the pain had hit in 2016, like, you know, had he had Rachel Notley's hand in 2016, which he would have, had he stayed on as premier, they would have had a harder time coming out as the economic champions when we were in a downturn. That's true. And that may be a cautionary tale for the liberals. Don't call it too soon. Oh, no, you can't call it too soon. Like, you know, especially as we just said, there might be another spike in the fall, yeah. uh, you not, which then would mean, okay, we're now into another round of isolation, which um, it's hard to isolate people when the weather is getting nice. But, you know, outside of the people who like skiing, um, I'm fine when it snows staying at home. So uh, it's just Carter just threw some... something at the computer. Carter, <laughs> that's too bad for Carter. Um, but uh, I don't like snow. I, I mean, I my winter sport is squash. I play indoors. I don't like. I'm done with snow. Uh, I thought Arizona would be a great place to go until this happened. 
So, right. uh, <laughs> but you know, so you can't. So, if he's, so, if he's so timing some, wise, yeah. So if he's going to put another thirty day uh, quarantine in or forty five day quarantine in, October is a great time to do it because it's snowing and nobody wants to be outside because the weather's garbage. So yeah. um, you know, let's you know. But I, we digress. But I mean, the whole thing is, is that's why I say spring uh, would be the way time to go. Put put the budget out. The budget's going to be garbage anyway because you're going to you're going to have so much debt that's been racked up this year and a mm-hmm. deficit and conservatives are going to start wanting to call for austerity measures and whatever else this conservative cruise but that you'll you'll see conservatives calling for austerity measures you're going to see the NDP go back to the well with we want a national drug plan uh, yeah. we want with pharmacare and all you have to do is put a budget together and say uh, no we're not being we're not doing cuts but we're not putting any money into this and you know hey and quebec quebec will get what we get and okay great three parties womp 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 you're done and there you go they all vote against the budget the budget goes down we're into an election okay so and i would because say of the, so because of the so because of the crisis well. actually well and they're due they're due in 2021 anyway they yeah, were a minority government. So if I was Hogan, um, you know, right after I just this? Use that. Oh yeah. I'd use this as the trigger. And, and Cause he's got, he's got great will being built out there as well. Oh yeah. This, the BC has, BC has done some amazing things. I keep saying this, uh, really interested to take some time and, and look into exactly how that worked out for them because I would have thought that BC would have seen uh, more dire numbers than what they did. So this can be looked at as, as a, as a success of government at, of, of the day, which Horgan, even though he did not uh, take every opportunity to sidestep uh, or not sidestep to overtake the health updates, he has still managed to be the guy who has that, uh, it's still his face on this crisis. Well, he's, he's still the premier. Yeah. And so, you know, if you go into classic leadership training, you let the experts shine when they need to shine. And that just solidifies your strength as a leader. So what, you know, I would say Horgan's done the right thing. It's like, you know, you've taken uh, Adrian Dix, he's your health minister. You've taken uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry, your, your chief medical officer, and you put them in front of the mic and let them talk about things that pertain to what people want to hear because they don't want to hear about anything else. Uh, they want to hear about what's going on health-wise and they need to be available for the, the, uh, the press to ask health-related questions. And then you step back and go, I'm a leader. I mean, Doug Ford does the same thing. There, there's the, the photos. I mean, guy looks like the Incredible Hulk when he's like standing behind. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's social distancing and he's there and available. But he's not, he's not taking it as this is my time at the mic. And so, you know, people are going to look at it and go, here's a competent leader. Here's a guy who said, I don't need to know everything about everything. I, I led when I needed to lead. And I let others shine because that's when they needed to step up. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually also a good thing to look at is how the conservative government in Ontario has, like you said, Doug Ford is there. He is there each time. He's just not commanding the attention 
And, and it's like, that's honestly what you would expect for that leader to be. He's there, he's visible, and he's allowing uh, the people that have the expertise to be demonstrating their expertise and to field those questions. Like that's, that's very important. I think from, uh, I don't even know if I want to say from a media standpoint, but just from a general public standpoint, you want to hear from the expert. Yeah. You're, you're not tuning into the health announcement to find out what's happening to Ontario manufacturing. Right. And I say that because nobody's tuning into the Alberta uh, health update to find out what's going on with, with the price of oil. That's true. So, um, and, and so, I mean, like, so I mean, when we look at how crisis, you know, is handled by our leaders, it's like, we've got leaders who are going to have the opportunity to take advantage of how they handle these things. And we've almost got the flip side of the coin because we haven't quite addressed it yet is how is this going to impact Jason Kenney? Well, timing wise, I think we've already discovered that it's happening early enough in his term to not likely be an election issue by 2023. Yeah, no, I, I fully expect we'll be back onto the economy by 2023. That'll oh, be yeah. the big, you know, we talked about this with Max is that people are going to be unemployed for 18 months, three years. Um, they want solutions. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and that's their wheelhouse. That is their, their strength, at least maybe not in delivering, but at least in telling people that they could. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, and compound with that is that Albertans historically have not rewarded the local MLAs who have been stalwarts for their community. So, I mean, when you take a look at 2016, the Rachel Notley, Rachel Notley and Brian Jean were both heavily involved with the Fort Mac and Fort Mac reconstruction. Uh, they were there, they were doing um, you know, boots on the ground. They were making it clear. Notley was very empathetic with the people in Fort Mac mm-hmm. and Fort Mac didn't, didn't re- return the favor three years later. Slave Lake, when uh, uh, they had the fire up there, I think it was um, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. I'm just pulling up my note on that. Um, oh, the fire was in 2011. Uh, they elect, uh, you know, 12, 12, they returned the MLA, but in 2015, they went NDP. But the numbers, right, yeah. but the numbers for the, the NDP, or pardon me, the PC um, MLA continued to go down because they were, number of people were starting to move to the Wild Rose in, even in 2012. Right. So, so she won, but I mean, she had won, uh, I had notes somewhere else, but um, I think she had won a couple elections before that, like 75% of the vote. And she won like two, in 2012 with like 48. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a situation where the, the, the local residents said, hey, we really appreciate what the government did. And we're going to respond by making sure that our local candidate got elected. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that brings in a whole other conversation too about do people elect a representative or a party with this crisis as, as big as it is. And the thing is, you know, we don't have that crystal ball either of what's going to happen this fall or next spring or, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of sitting on the idea that the timing maybe matters more than the response, 
no matter how successful the response may have been, it's, it's the timing and how fresh that is in people's memories. And again, it could also be something like, uh, like, you, like you said with, what's the strength in their messaging as a party? And again, back to Alberta. Well, no, I would almost like to go to, to the feds with this, but is that party seen as someone who can you know, manage both an economic crisis as well as a health crisis? Does this go in Trudeau's favor? The Canadian economy was doing well between 2013 and 2015. 2013? 2011 and 2015, sorry. So the Canadian economy was doing fine. It was, Alberta was hit. Saskatchewan was hit. But that's because of oil. That wasn't because of what the federal government was doing. I know people would disagree, but... Yeah, well, and, and that was actually one of the, the things with the 2019 election was that outside of Alberta and Saskatchewan, the economy was still good. So, I mean, it wasn't... Right. In, in this province, um, Trudeau was not seen as an economic leader, but the rest of the country saw him that way, which is why, you know, he did really well in everywhere other than Alberta and Saskatchewan. Right. If he's seen as someone who can tackle economic issues as well as manage through something like a health crisis, how many governments in Canada are showing that? And to contrast with the U.S., right? Trump is is definitely seen as being good for the economy, which they will also need in November. But again, this crisis is coming. It really depends on what continues to happen health-wise for the U.S. Yeah, I, and I think that this goes back to your question of, like, it's the the recency of the issue. So uh, in the U.S., um, that'll probably be one of the top things in mind. People are going to see that Trump didn't handle non-economic issues well. Um, so that... And that by could, November, yeah, that that's, that's outbreak time again. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not convinced that they're going to be out of the first wave before the second wave hits. But... Mm, so, you know, he's, he's, he's going to have to wear that, um, where like Scott Moe with his recency, less of an impact. So he's really like, really Scott's issue probably is more, uh, how is Saskatchewan going to bounce from low oil prices? Um, and how's that budget going to look like? And, but they've got a PST. So, you know, it's, it's a bit. They of a also have thing. a more diverse economy than Alberta. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so there's uh, there's that, uh, and then you know you take a look at you know is it whether Trudeau or Horgan um, they pull the pin or the pin eventually gets pulled in the next year they've got the, the immediacy of how they handled things yeah but give give it another two years and this crisis won't mean anything unless of course you know second and third waves are um, worse than and I think somebody had put maybe even you pointed that out on Twitter was that the second wave of the Spanish flu was actually worse than the first. Yeah, that's what, that's what I had seen. So uh, if we have a second wave that starts, if we have a second wave that starts in the fall or next year and before a vaccine is readily available, uh, and that had, you know, and it comes back with a 50% increase of what we've got for uh, uh, mortality numbers, that, that, could, that could impact because because some of the things that Jason Kenny is currently fighting with are just going to be amplified in yeah. a year's time when we have a second wave. Well, and like you said to, or like we discussed on the episode 32 of failing our grandparents, 
everyone has grandparents, right? This is, this is something that it's, it's more widespread than just uh, rural urban, right? It's, it's different. It's something that could potentially affect uh, a lot of people. And the thing is, while you may forget a policy decision that somebody made that made your life difficult for a couple of months, if you lose a family member, that's still going to be fresh in your mind come election time. Yeah, definitely. So right? that's, mean, it's totally different. Yeah. And, and so that, that'll be a component of the um, 2023 platform of how they're going to handle. So that might be the number two ticker is number one is the economy and number two is long-term care. Yeah. And but, but this continuing fight with the doctors doesn't bode well for that. Yeah. Well, you, you've already had what 45 different communities basically say the doctors are pulling out of ER that's in rural at some point those rural MLAs are going to be taking more and more heat now you know I asked the question how many of them care and not not from an empathetic you know nobody wants to see grandma die but it's the they they got elected because they were UCP in right. rural communities so you know where your bread's buttered and so when Jason says this is how we're going and most of them joined up because it was Jason. So, you know, when you start looking through all those uh, rural MLAs, how many of them ran because they wanted to be that strong local representative? And how many of them ran because Jason Kenny was driving the ship? Mm-hmm. So, you know, local, I, I got asked the question the other day. It's like, you know, you know, would one of the doctors who is railing against the cuts right now, could he get elected? over a, a vastly popular MLA, like say Jason Nixon. And my answer was no. Still. Because, because even though you know, you're popular in one community, it's those rural ridings are multiple communities. Yeah. That you're, you're assuming that uh, that doctor can influence multiple communities. So you're going to need to have that, you know, that team of doctors that's all leaving the province. Um, you need them all to stay and then get political, which is two things they're not going to do. And then, you know, how do you, how do you go around electing them? Because regardless if that doctor runs for the NDP or the Alberta party or the Liberal party, now you're relying on that party's central campaign to get that one person to beat the MLA who got, say, 77% of the vote. Mm-hmm. That's, that's huge. On, on, on an operational level, that's huge. Not saying it's impossible. I mean, there's writings that obviously <laughs> elected the NDP, but I mean, you know, uh, I was just sitting there going, that's eh, impossible. No, I mean, but I mean, <laughs> there are ridings like, and specifically like Jason Nixon's uh, Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry. That's never flipped. Yeah. Like that was PC beyond PC. And then it became Wild Rose. And I know Joe Anglin took a good run at it as a green and then won it as a Wild Rose. Like that was the difference. Like Joe ran as a progressive and then Joe ran as a conservative and all of a sudden <laughs> Joe's an MLA. And then Joe got kicked out of caucus. So, and then Joe couldn't get reelected. So it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't a Joe factor. It wasn't a personal factor. It was simply that riding was going to go one particular direction. And that was it. Yeah. No matter who was running it. So are we just going to go with timing? I mean, I would love, I would love to believe that what people do during a crisis matters. Mm -hmm. And how they handle a crisis matters, but okay, granted, 
we're in Alberta. Things are different here. <laughs> Joe can get elected under Wild Rose, under a Wild Rose sign, but not under any other sign. Um, yep. That, uh, so, so is it solely timing that matters? Yes. Like is, that, is that the only thing? Yeah, I, well, I mean, it's, it goes back to the short memories of the electorate. And so are the people of Rocky Mountain House, Sundry, Rimby, two of those communities I know for sure have had doctors announce that they're not doing ER services anymore. Are those communities going to remember that in three years and punish Jason Nixon? I don't think so. I think, I think in the time between today and the election in 2023, they won't. Okay. So. But how did the, 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 the equation is very different for if you're a voter in Vancouver, if you're a voter in Toronto, if you're a voter in Quebec. Okay, and let's just throw that out there really quickly. Doug Ford, do you think he managed to change the trajectory of his popularity as a leader? What, he was the least liked premier in the country? Yeah. Before right, this? <laughs> right, like, I mean, right out of the gates, he, he's, in a, he's in a fight with teachers and he's in a fight with uh, parents who have children who have disabilities, particularly autism, I think. Yeah. was a big one. And so, yeah, he, he wasn't polling well and he's been able to turn it around. So really, I think he's going to be a wait and see. I think everyone's going to go, okay, we've seen some humanity. What's next? He might get judged by a completely different criteria than anybody else. So we'll, also we'll have to, we'll everything have to else we said. We'll have to podcast <laughs> in two years. Well, no, it's not because at the end of the day, crisis, crisis may have fixed his numbers, but temporarily. That's right. And do they hold? Yeah. And so, you know, if he was going into an election in the spring, that might be enough for him to get elected, but he's not. So it won't. Is there a potential benefit? Obviously that's actually, that lines up with what we're talking about more. Is there a benefit to Doug Ford calling an early election to, in hopes of solidifying himself for four more years shortly after this crisis around when the feds might also decide to do the same. If he calls the election early, they'll call him opportunistic. So. Oh, so it doesn't, so it doesn't work for both. God damn it. <laughs> he's got a majority government, so they're going to expect him to govern for four years. Well, and he's due in 2022 anyway, if he called it in 2021, it's not outrageously early. If the feds call it in 2021, he's, that's, Kind of outrageously early, but I realize they have a minority government. But Yeah, so it, there's a difference between calling it. Like, the whole thing is, is that the, the liberals won't call the election. They'll right. cause the election. They'll force everyone else to vote against their budget. You know, and, and for, yeah, okay. yeah, so you force it. It's all in ballgame. Because if you call it, then you look opportunistic. Then you're back in premises. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the same thing. Tr uh, Trudeau is not going to call the election. He's going to force it. He's going to put in a couple of poison pills. He's going to put in something into the budget that, that talks about the future of, of Canada and its place in the world. And these things that he'd like to see where Canada goes in the next 25 years. But at the same time, it's not going to have austerity marriages uh, measures. So that'll kill the conservatives, uh, you know, more than they're doing right now. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, 
and the, the NDP won't get what they want because really, as Max identified, you know, the Liberals are kind of governing from that center, center left. So uh, Jagmeet Singh just can't find any oxygen in the room. The Greens, the Greens are, are, are benign at this point. So, you know, like Trudeau just has to put a couple things in, boom, done, there you go. And he gets his majority government, does a couple things, and then he takes a walk in the snow and Christina Friedland becomes the next prime minister of Canada. Just done. Done. Thank you. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that is a good place to leave it. We, we entertained a lot of possibilities and, you know, threw out some potential options. So yeah, you know, politically, we've got a couple of interesting years coming up. Yep. Awesome. And we can look back at this one in two years' time and talk about Doug Ford. Did he actually win? <laughs> That's so. right. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you. Enjoy the weekend. Or those listening next week, enjoy <laughs> the week. Or whatever you're doing today. <laughs> Ooh. The Political R&D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D. Mm-hmm.